0: book one chapter three of strangers and pilgrims by mary elizabeth braddon this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org strangers and pilgrims book one chapter three i know thy forms are studied arts thy subtle ways be narrow straits thy courtesy but sudden starts and what thou calls thy gifts are baits the curate of Hawley modest in his surroundings as the incorruptible maximilian Robespierre himself had lodgings at a carpenter's his landlord was certainly the chief carpenter of the town a man of unblemished respectability who had even infused a flavour of building into his trade but the curate's bedroom windows commanded a view of the carpenter's yard and he lived in the odour of chips and shavings and that fresh piny smell which seems to breathe the perfume of a thousand ships far away from the barren main. He had even to submit meekly to the dismal tap-tap-tap of the hammer when a coffin was on hand, which might fairly serve as a substitute for the Frère Il faut mourir of the Trappist brotherhood. It must not be supposed, however, that this choice of a lodging was an act of asceticism or wanton self-humiliation upon the part of malcolm Ford, the hawley curates lodged as a rule with humphreys the carpenter and hawley being self-governed for the most part under strictly conservative principles it would have been an outrage against this sacred existing order of things if mr Ford had pitched his tent elsewhere mrs humphreys was a buxom middle-aged woman of spotless cleanliness who kept a cow in a neat little paddock behind the carpenter's yard, a woman who had a pleasant odour of dairy about her, and who was supposed by long practice to have acquired a special faculty for doing for curates. I know their taste, she would say to her gossips, and it's astonishing how little their taste varies. Oh, give me a chop, Missus Humphreys! They mostly says if I were at them about their dinner, but lo, oh, I know better than that. Their poor stomach would soon turn against chops if they had them every day. So I soon leaves off asking them anything about dinner which contrives to give them a, a nice variety of tasty little dishes. A whiten and a lamb cutlet or two with fried parsley one day. A red mullet and a split fowl broiled with a half dozen mushrooms the next a speech cook, they call it, and then the day after I curry what's left of the fowl, so as their bills come moderate, and I never had a wry word with any curate yet, except Mr. Adderley, who didn't like Squab Pie, and I did give him a piece of my mind about that. The rooms were comfortable rooms, though of the plainest, lightsome and airy, Furnished with chairs and tables so substantial that their legs had not been enfeebled by the various fidgetinesses of a whole generation of curates honest wide-seated leather-bottomed chairs bought at the sack of an ancient manor-house, stalwart walnut-wood tables and brass-handled chests of drawers made when George the second was king. Mrs. Humphreys was wont to boast that her Joe meaning Mr. Joseph Humphreys knew what chairs and tables were and did not choose them for their looks there were no ornaments of the usual lodging-house type for mrs humphreys knew that it was in the nature of curates to bring with them sundry knick-knacks the relics of university extravagances wherewith to decorate their chambers mr Ford had furnished both sitting-room and bedroom amply with books nay even the slip of a chamber where he kept his baths and sponges and bootstand was encumbered with the shabbier volumes in his collection piled breast-high in the angles of the walls he was not a collector of bric-a-brac and the sole ornaments of his sitting-room were a brass skeleton clock which had travelled many a league with him in his soldiering days a carefully painted miniature of an elderly lady whom by the likeness to himself one might reasonably suppose to be his mother on one side of the mantelpiece and a somewhat faded daguerreotype of a sweet fair young face on the other and a breakfast cup and saucer on a little ebony stand under a glass shade why this cup and saucer should be so preserved would have been a puzzling question for a stranger they were of ordinary modern china and could have possessed no value from an artistic point of view He had performed his early morning duty at st clement's and spent half an hour with the sick parishioner before his nine o'clock breakfast on the day following that little croquet party at the vicarage he was dawdling a little as he sipped his second cup of tea with one of southey's commonplace books open at his elbow turning over the leaves now and then with a somewhat absent air as if in all that jetsam and flotsam of the poet's studious hours he hardly found a paragraph to enchain his attention. What manner of man is he, in outward semblance, as he sits there absent and meditative, with the broad summer daylight on his face? It would be a question if one should call him a handsome man. He is distinguished-looking, perhaps, rather than handsome. Tall and broad-shouldered, like the men who come from beyond the tweed, straight as a dart, A man who is not dependent upon dress and surroundings for his dignity but has an indefinable air of being superior to the common herd his features are good but not particularly regular hardly coming within the rule and compass of archetypal beauty the nose a thought too broad the forehead too dominant his skin is dark and has little colour save when he is angry or deeply moved when the stern face glows briefly with a dark crimson. The clear, cold, grey eyes are wonderful in their variety of expression. The firmly moulded yet flexible mouth is the best feature in his face, supremely grave in repose, infinitely tender when he smiles. He smiles suddenly now, in the course of his reverie, a slow, thoughtful smile. (laughs) ''What a child she is,'' he says to himself, With all a child's perversity, I am foolish ever to be angry with her. He heard a double knock from the little brass knocker of Mr. Humphrey's private door, shut his book with an impatient sigh, got up and walked to the window. The Humphrey's mansion was in one of the side streets of Hawley, a street known by the rustic title of Field Lane, which led up a gentle hill to the open country. A vast stretch of common land sprinkled sparsely on the outskirts with a few scattered houses and a row or two of cottages. Nor had Mr Humphreys any opposite neighbours. The houses on the other side stopped abruptly a few yards below and there was a triangular green with a pond and a colony of ducks in front of the curate's casements. Malcolm Ford looked out of the window, expecting to see his visitor waiting meekly on the spotless doorstep. But the door had been opened promptly and the doorstep was unoccupied he looked at his watch hastily i've been wasting too much time already he said to himself and here is someone to detain me ever so long and i want to make a good morning's round out filbury way the medical practitioners of Hawley prided themselves on the crushing nature of their duties yet there were none among them who worked so hard as this healer of souls and here was some tiresome vestryman perhaps come to prose for half an hour or so about some pet grievance while he was languishing to be up-and-doing among the miserable hovels at Filbury where amidst the fertile smiling landscape men's souls and bodies were consuming away with a moral dry rot the door of his sitting-room opened but not to admit a prosing vestryman the smiling handmaiden announced miss luttrell if you please sir and lo there stood before him on the threshold of his chamber the wilful woman he had been thinking about just now gravely regarding him the very image of decorum there was some change in her outward aspect the details whereof his masculine eye could not distinguish a woman could have told him in a moment by what means the beauty had contrived to transform herself she was dressed in a lavender cotton gown with tight plain sleeves and a linen collar no bright-hued ribbon encircling the long white throat no flutter of lace or glimmer of golden locket none of the pretty frivolities with which she was accustomed to set off her loveliness she wore an old-fashioned black silk scarf a relic of her dead mother's wardrobe which became her tall slim figure to perfection she who was wont to wear the most coquettish and capricious of hats the daintiest conceit in airy tulle by way of a bonnet was now crowned with a modest saucer-shaped thing of dunstable straw which at this moment hid her eyes altogether from malcolm ford the rich brown hair Which she had been accustomed to display in an elaborate structure of large loose plaits was neatly braided under this puritan headgear and packed into the smallest possible compass at the back of her head she had a little basket in one hand a red covered account book in the other if you please mr ford i should like you to give me a round of visits amongst your poor people she said offering him this little volume I'm quite ready to begin my duties to-day." He stood for a moment gazing at her, lost in amazement. The provoking saucer-shaped hat covered her eyes. He could only guess the expression of her face from her mouth, which was gravity itself. "'What, Miss Luttrell do you mean to help me after all you said last night?' "'Did I really say anything very wicked last night?' she asked naively lifting her head for a moment so that her eyes shone out at him under the shadow of the saucer brim. Peerless eyes they seemed to him in that brief flash but hardly the most appropriate eyes for a district visitor whose beauty should be of a subdued order like the colours of her dress. I don't know that you said anything wicked but you expressed a profound disgust for district visiting. Oh, Did I? Oh, it was the last rebellious murmur of my unregenerate heart but you have awakened my conscience and i mean to turn over a new leaf to begin a new existence in fact if the piano were my property instead of diana's i think i should make a bonfire on the lawn and burn it i have serious thoughts of burning my colour box windsor and newton's too and papa's last birthday present "'but you must be kind enough to make me out a list of the people you'd like me to visit. "'I don't want to be a regular district visitor "'or to interfere with your established sisterhood in any way, "'so I won't take any tickets to distribute. "'I don't want the people to associate me with sacramental arms. "'I want to have a little flock of my own "'and to see if I can make them like me for my own sake, "'without thinking how much they can get out of me.' and if you could coach me a little about what i ought to say to them it would be a great comfort to me gertrude says that when she feels herself at a loss she says a little prayer and waits on the doorstep for a few minutes till something comes to her but i am afraid that plan would not answer for me mr Ford pushed one of the heavy chairs to the writing-table near the window and asked miss luttrell to sit down while he wrote what she wanted in the little red book she seated herself near one end of the table and he sat down to write at the other i shall be very happy to do what i can to set you going he said as he wrote but i should be more assured of your sincerity if you were less disposed to make a joke of the business a joke exclaimed miss luttrell with an aggrieved air why i was never in my life so serious is this the way in which you mean to treat my awakening mr ford he handed her the little book with a list of names written on the first leaf i think you must know something of these people he said after living here all your life Oh, please don't take anything for granted about me with reference to the poor she answered hastily of course it it is abominable in me to admit as much but i never have cared for them the only ideas about them that i have ever been able to grasp are they never open their windows and that they always want something of one and take it ill if one can't give them the thing they want gertrude tells quite a different story and declares that the serious-minded souls are always languishing for spiritual refreshment "'that she can make them quite happy "'with her prim little sermons and flimsy little tracts. "'Did you ever read a tract, Mr. Ford? "'I don't mean a controversial pamphlet or anything of that kind, "'but just one of those little puritanical booklets "'that drop from Gertrude like leaves from a tree in autumn.' "'I have not given much leisure to that kind of study,' "'replied Malcolm with his grave smile.' i hope you won't think me unappreciative of the honour involved in this visit miss luttrell if i am obliged to run away i have a round of calls at filbury to get through this morning oh you remind me of poor mamma said elizabeth with a tributary sigh to the memory of that departed parent she had always a round of calls and they generally resolved themselves into three a triangle of calls in short but they were genteel visits you know mamma never went in for the district business the loose slangy style of her talk grated upon his ear not a little he took his hat and gloves from the sideboard a gentle reminder that he was in haste to be gone i won't detain you five minutes more she said Oh, how nice the room looks with all these books i know mrs humphrey's drawing-room very well although this is my first visit to you papa and gertrude and i came once to drink tea with mr horton he gave quite a party and we had concertante duets for the flute and piano non più mesta and di piace and so on this with a faint blush remembering her own share in that concerted music oh you should have seen the room in his tenancy bohemian glass vases and scent caskets and stereoscopes and photograph albums, but very few books. I think I like it best with all those grim-looking brown-backed volumes of yours. She made the tour of the room as she spoke and paused by the mantelpiece to examine the skeleton clock, the cup and saucer, and the two portraits. What a grand-looking old lady! your mother of course mr ford Uh, oh what a sweet face pausing before the photograph your sister i suppose no mr ford answered somewhat shortly and what a pretty cup and saucer under a glass shade it looks like a relic of some kind it is a relic the tone was grave repellent even and Elizabeth felt she touched upon a forbidden subject. It belonged to his mother, I dare say, she thought, and he keeps it in memory of the dead. I suppose all his people are dead, as he never talks about them. After this, she made haste to depart with her little book, knowing very well that she had outraged all the conventionalities of Hawley, but rather proud of having bearded this Lion of Judah in his den. Mr. Ford left the house with her, and walked a little way by her side, but was graver and more silent than his wont, as if he had hardly recovered from the pain those injudicious questions of hers had given him. He parted from her at the entrance to a row of cottages, in which dwelt two of the matrons whose names he had entered in her book. "'Good-bye,' he said. "'I hope you will be able to do some good.' And that you will not be tired of the work in a week or two oh, that is a rather depressing suggestion said elizabeth. I know you have the worst possible opinion of me, but I mean to show you how mistaken you have been, and you really ought to be flattered by my conversion. Papa might have preached at me for a twelvemonth without producing such an effect i'm sorry to hear that your father has so little influence with you miss luttrell the curate answered gravely he left her with the coldest good-bye the proud face flushed crimson under the mushroom hat as she turned into the little alley this morning's interview had not been nearly so agreeable to her as yesterday's lecture under the limes at the entrance to the town she began her missionary work in a very bad humour but brightened by degrees as she went on. She was a woman in whom the desire to please dominated almost every other attribute, and she was bent upon making these people like or even love her. It was not meant to be a mere spurt, this adoption of a new duty. She meant to show Malcolm Ford that she could be all or more than all he thought a woman should be that she could be as much gertrude superior in this particular line as she surpassed her personal beauty gertrude she said to herself contemptuously as if poor people could possibly care about gertrude with her little fidgety ways and her low church tracts and her passion for soapsuds and hearthstone she has contrived to train her people into a subdued kind of civility They look upon her visits as a necessary evil, and put up with them, just as they put up with the water coming through the roof, or a pigsty close to the parlour window. But I shall make my people look forward to my visits, as a bright little spot in their lives. This was rather an arrogant idea, perhaps, but Elizabeth Luttrell succeeded in realising it she contrived to win an unfailing welcome in the twenty cottages which mr Ford had assigned to her nor was her popularity won by bribery and corruption she had very little to give her people except an occasional packet of barley-sugar or a paper of biscuits for the children or now and then some cast-off ribbon or other scrap of genteel finery for the mothers for the sick children indeed she would do anything empty her own slenderly-furnished purse, rob the cross old parsonage cook of her arrowroot and loaf sugar and isinglass and cornflour and ground rice and ept cocoa and new-laid eggs. But it was not by gifts of any kind that she made herself beloved. It was the brightness and easy grace of her manner, rather, that delightful air of being perfectly at home in a tiny chamber with a reeking wash-tub at her elbow, a cradle at her knee, And a line of damp clothes steaming in close proximity to her hat nothing disgusted her she never wondered that people could live in such dirt and muddle she made her little suggestions of improvement no blunt plain-spoken recommendation of soap suds and hearthstone but insinuating hints of what might be done with a little trouble in a manner that never offended and then she was so beautiful to look upon the husbands and wives were never tired of admiring her. Ay, but she be a rail right down beauty, they'd say, and thinks no more of herself than if she was as ugly as sin, not knowing that the fair Elizabeth was quite conscious of her own loveliness, and hoped to turn it to some good account by and by. Nor did Elizabeth forget, in her desire for popularity that the chief object of her mission among these people was of a spiritual kind that she was to carry enlightenment and religion into those close pent-up hovels where the damp linen was ever dangling the wash tub for ever reeking where the larder was so often barren and the wants of mankind so small and yet sometimes perforce unsatisfied although she was not herself as gertrude expressed it seriously minded though her thoughts during her father's sermons and even during those of mr Ford too often wandered among the bonnets and mantles of the congregation or shaped themselves into vague visions of the future she did notwithstanding contrive to bring about some improvement in the theory and practice of her clients she persuaded the women to go to church on sunday evenings if sunday morning worship was really an impossible thing as the poor souls protested she induced the husbands to clean themselves a couple of hours earlier than had been their Sabbath custom and to shamble into the dusky aisle of st Clement's or st Mary's while the tinkling five minutes bell was still calling to loiterers and laggards on the way. She taught the little ones their catechism, rewarding proficiency with barley-sugar or gingerbread, and she sat by many a wash-tub reading the evangelists in her full sweet voice while the industrious housewife rubbed the sweats of labour from her husband's shirt-collars she would even starch and iron a handful of collars herself on occasion if the housewife seemed to set about the business clumsily i have to get up my own fine things sometimes or i should go cuffless and collarless she said papa is not rich you know mrs jones whereat mrs jones would be struck with amazement at her handiness I don't believe there's a thing in this universal world as you can't do miss elizabeth the admiring matron would cry with uplifted hands and even this humble appreciation of her merits pleased lizzie Luttrell. her reading was much liked by listeners who were not compelled to sit with folded hands and a brain perplexed by the thought of neglected housework she had a knack of choosing the most attractive as well as the most profitable portions of holy writ an acute perception of the passages most likely to impress her hearers, I do like your scriptures, miss elizabeth said one woman when I was a girl, I used to think the bible was all Saul and the philistines. There seemed no end of them, and David. I make no doubt David was a dear good man, and after the Lord's own heart, but there did seem too much of him. He wasn't like him as you read about he didn't come home to us like that miss and you don't read as he was fond of little children except that one of his own that he was so wrapped up in.' "'The gospel sounds like a pretty story when you read it miss,' said another. "'And when Miss Gertrude read it did seem so (laughs) sing-song-like. Sometimes I couldn't feel as there was any sense in it. No more than in the lessons of a hot summer's afternoon.' when it seems only a droning like a hive of bees. So Elizabeth went on and prospered and grew really interested in her work. It was not half so bad as she supposed. There was muddle and there was want, but not such utter gloom and misery as she had imagined in these hovels. The spirits of these people were singularly elastic. Ever so little sunshine warmed them into new life, and above all they liked her and praised her and spoke well of her to malcolm Ford. she knew that from his approving manner not from anything he had distinctly said upon the subject rarely had she met with him on her rounds the list he had given her included only easy subjects people who would not be likely to repulse her attentions homes in which she would not hear foul language or see dreadful sights and having allotted her pathway He was content that she should follow it with very little assistance from him, and even took pains to time his own visits so as to avoid any encounter with her. He did, however, on rare occasions find her among his flock. Not easily did he forget one summer afternoon, when he saw her sitting by an open cottage window with a sick child in her lap. That figure in a pale muslin dress, with the afternoon sunshine upon it, lived in his memory long if only i could believe that she was quite in earnest he said to himself that this new work of hers has some safer charm than its novelty i should think her the sweetest woman i ever met except one elizabeth had been engaged in these duties for two months and had done her work faithfully it was the end of august the brilliant close of a summer that had been exceptionally fine. Harvest just begun in this western land, and occasional tracts of tawny stubble baking under a cloudless blue sky. Hazelnuts and whortleberries ripening in the woods. Great slow trees shedding their purple fruit in every hedge. A rain of green apples falling on the orchard grass with every warm south wind. The red plums swelling and purpling on the garden wall. A vision of plenty and the perfume of roses and carnations on every side if we don't have that picnic you talked about very soon gertie we shan't have it at all remarked the youngest and the pertest of the four sisters at breakfast one morning when mr luttrell had withdrawn himself to his daily duties and the damsels were left to enjoy half an hour's idleness and talk over empty coffee cups and shattered eggshells and other fragments of the feast the summer's nearly over you see gertie and if we don't take care we shall lose all the fine weather i've no doubt there'll be a deluge after all this sunshine blanche always called her eldest sister gertie when she wanted some indulgence from that important personage well i'm sure i don't know what to say blanche replied miss luttrell with provoking coolness as if picnics and all such sublunary pleasures were utterly beneath her regard strong too in her authority as her father's housekeeper and conscious that her sisters must bow down and pay her homage for whatever they wanted like joseph's brethren in quest of corn i really think she went on with a deliberate air as the summer is nearly gone we may as well give up any notion of a picnic this year especially as Papa doesn't seem to care much about it. Papa never seems to care about anything that costs money, cried the disrespectful youngest. He'd like life well enough if everything in it could be carried on for nothing, if his children could be born and educated and fed and clothed and doctored and nursed and introduced to society gratis, so that he could have all the pew-rents and burial-fees and things to put in the bank. It's very mean of you to talk like that, Gertrude, and want to sneak out of the picnic, when it's about the only return we're likely to make for all the croquet parties and dinners and teas and goodness knows what that our friends have given us since Christmas. Really, Blanche, you are learning to render yourself eminently disagreeable, Miss Luttrell observed severely. And i fear if papa does not face the necessity of sending you back to school to be finished your deficiency in manner will be your absolute ruin in afterlife never mind blanche's manner interposed diana but let's talk about the picnic of course we must have one we always have had one for the last five years since the summer after poor Mamma's death i know we were all in slight mourning at the first of them And our friends expect it so the only question is where are we to go this year this was intended in some wise as an assertion of independence on the part of the second miss luttrell who did not intend to be altogether overridden by the chariot of an elder sister even though that elder had bidden a long farewell to the golden summer-tide of her twenty-eighth year elizabeth won't go of course now she's turned serious said Blanche, with a sly glance at Lizzie, who sat leisurely watching the skirmish, with her head against the clumsy frame of the lattice and the south wind gently stirring her dark brown hair, a perfect picture of idle loveliness. "'You'll have nothing to do with the picnic, of course, Lizzie, not even if Malcolm Ford goes,' pursued the pickle of the family. "'Who gave you leave to call him Malcolm?' flashed out Elizabeth one but why shouldn't one enjoy oneself in the bosom of one's family i like to call him malcolm Ford. it's such a pretty name and one ought to get accustomed to the christian name of one's future brother-in-law two of the miss luttrells flushed crimson at this speech gertrude who turned angrily upon the speaker as if about to retort and elizabeth whose swift reply came like a flash of lightning before her senior could reprove the offender. "'How dare you say that, Blanche! Do you suppose that I would marry Mr. Ford, a curate, even if he were to ask me?' "'I won't suppose anything till he does ask you,' answered the incorrigible. "'And then I know pretty well what will happen.' Whatever fine notions you may have had about a rich husband, and a house in London, and an opera box, and goodness knows what, will all count for nothing the day that Malcolm Ford makes you an offer. Why, you worship the ground he walks on. Do you think we can't all of us see through your district visiting? A pretty freak for you to take up after admitting that you detested such work.' i suppose it is not quite unnatural that one should try to overcome one's dislikes and to do some good in the world replied elizabeth with dignity have the goodness to bridle your tongue a little blanche and rest assured that i shall never marry a curate be he whom he may but mr Ford is not like common curates he is independent of the church he has private means yes three or four hundred a year from a small estate in aberdeenshire oh you have been making inquiries, then no but i heard papa say as much one day and now blanche be so kind as to abandon the discussion of my affairs and of mr Ford's, and let us talk of the picnic i say lawborough Beaches. this i say was uttered in a tone of authority unbefitting a third sister and Gertrude immediately determined not to brook any such usurpation. But it somehow generally happened that Elizabeth had her own way. She had a happy knack of suggesting the right thing. "'Lawborough Beeches is a jolly place,' said Blanche approvingly. Oh, "'When will you learn to abandon the use of that odious adjective?' cried Gertrude with a shudder. "'Lawborough Beaches is low and damp.' well i'd as soon have it on the moor and we could have donkey-races and no end of fun oh was there ever a girl with such vulgar ideas donkey-races imagine mr Ford riding a donkey with a piece of white calico on its back and imagine picnicking on the moor without a vestige of shade Oh, nice blistered state our faces would be in and I should have one of my nervous headaches, said Diana, who had a kind of copyright in several interesting ailments of the nervine kind. lawborough beeches was a little wood of ancient trees with silver-grey trunks and spreading crests, beeches which had been pollarded in the days when Cromwell rode rough-shod over the land and had stretched out their mighty limbs low and wide in the centuries that had gone by since then. It was a little wood lying in a green hollow through which the tabor meandered a silvery stream dear to the soul of the fly-fisher here dark and placid as a lake under the broad shadow of the trees and there flowing with a swift current towards the distant weir miss luttrell acknowledged somewhat unwillingly after a good deal of discussion that the beeches was perhaps the best place for the picnic if the picnic were really a social necessity i must confess i do not see it in that light she said and i rather wonder that you should do so elizabeth now that your mind has been awakened to loftier interests the sum which this picnic will cost would be a great help to our blanket club next winter elizabeth pondered for a few moments of course she was anxious to help those poor people who were so fond of her but the winter was a long way off providence might increase her means in some unthought-of manner by that time and the near delight of a long summer afternoon with malcolm Ford under lawborough beaches was very sweet to her she had seen so little of him of late the very change in herself which she had fancied would bring them nearer together seemed to have only the more divided them she did not meet him half so often as in her unregenerate days when she had been always strolling in and out of hawley to change books at the library or to buy a new song or a yard or two of ribbon or to look at the last paris fashions which the chief linen draper had just received from plymouth we ought to make some return for people's hospitality she said i consider the picnic unavoidable so blanche produced a sheet of fool's cap and began to make out a formidable list of comestibles pigeon pies chicken salads lobsters plovers eggs galantine of veal hams tongs salmon on mayonnaise and so on with a wild profusion that seems so easy in pen and ink i wish you would not be so officious blanche exclaimed the eldest miss "'Of course I shall arrange all those details with Susan Sims.' Susan Sims was the cook, an important functionary in the vicar's household, who managed Miss Lutterall. "'That means that we are to have whatever Susan likes to give us,' said Blanche. "'You do give way to her so, Gertrude. "'I think I'd rather have a bad cook and one's dinner spoilt occasionally, "'if one could order just what one liked.' however i suppose if i mayn't make out a list of the dinner i may make a list of the people yes you can if you'll just take your inkstand to another table you've made a blot upon the tablecloth already upon this the three elder damsels separated to pursue their divers occupations gertrude to hold solemn converse with susan sims diana to practice mendelssohn's sonatas on the drawing-room piano elizabeth to her district visiting leaving blanche wallowing in ink and swelling with importance as she wrote the names of her father's friends on two separate sheets of foolscap the people who must be invited upon one the people who might or might not be invited upon the other mr luttrell happened to be at home for luncheon that day a privilege which he was not permitted to enjoy more than once or twice a week so the sisters were able to moot the question of the picnic without delay the vicar rubbed his bald forehead thoughtfully with a perplexed sigh i suppose we must do something he said dolefully it's a long time since we've had a dinner-party and if you think people really like their dinner any better on damp grass gertrude and with flies dropping into their wine why have a picnic by all means there's always an immense deal of wine drunk at these affairs by the way young men are so officious and go opening bottles on the least provocation be sure you remind me to write and order some of the ball supper champagne and the race-course moselle that we saw advertised the other day the matter was settled therefore pleasantly enough and the invitations were written that afternoon and distributed before nightfall by the parsonage gardener or man-of-all-work mr Ford's invitation among them a formal little note in gertrude's hand which he twisted about in his fingers for a long time while he meditated upon his answer would it do him any good to waste a summer day under lawborough beaches he had been working his hardest for some weeks without relaxation of any kind he felt that he wanted rest and ease but hardly this species of recreation which would involve a great deal of trouble for he would be required to make himself agreeable to all manner of people to carry umbrellas and camp-stools to point out interesting objects in the landscape to quote the county history and in fact to labour assiduously for the pleasure of other people nor had he ever felt himself any the better for these rustic pleasures considerably the worse rather especially when they were shared with elizabeth no better to waste his day in utter loneliness on the moor under the shadow of a mighty tor with a book lying unread at his side better to give himself a pause of perfect rest in which to think out the great problem of his life for without inordinate self-esteem malcolm Ford was a man who deemed that his existence ought to be of some use to the world that he was destined to fill some place in the scheme of creation he felt that alfresco banquetings and junketings were just the idlest most worthless use that he could make of his rare leisure and yet with very human inconsistency he wrote to miss luttrell next morning to accept her kind invitation chapter three